Good morning. Ohayou gozaimasu. Moi jido. Uh, welcome to Calvary Chapel Iwakuni. Great to be here with you guys. As always, also want to welcome those who may be streaming online, praying that the Lord ministers to you as you join with us uh, remotely. Um, we will continue our march through the Gospel of Luke and we'll finally look to wrap up chapter 1 uh, this week. Um, thus far, we've looked at a, a number of different things. We looked at Luke's introduction. We looked at both birth announcements of John the Baptist and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We looked at Mary's joyous uh, visit to Elizabeth and then uh, the actual birth of John the Baptist, which we just covered last week. This week, we're going to look to conclude chapter one by taking a look at the final 14 verses of the chapter and a message that I've entitled Salvation, Vocation, and Preparation. Okay, Salvation, vocation and preparation okay if you haven't done so already will you please open up your bibles and make your way to luke chapter one our text this morning is going to be verses 67 through 80 i'm going to read through the entirety of our text uh, from my bible i want to encourage you all to follow along in your own and invite you to stand one last time just in honor of god and his word luke he uh, continues his narrative of the events surrounding the birth of John the Baptist with the following in verse 67. It says, Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Verse 80 concludes, So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here together as a church family uh, to open up your word. And Lord, I do ask and I do pray, Lord, that as we've opened up your word, Lord, that our minds, our ears, our eyes, and most importantly, our hearts, in like manner would be open to all that your spirit desires to say to us this morning. And Lord, I do hope that each and every one of us comes this morning with great anticipation and great expectation that you are going to speak to us today. Lord, that we would have great confidence in your word, that it is active, that it is living, that it is going to accomplish that which you set it forth to do. 
And so, Lord, we do submit ourselves to you. We yield ourselves to your word. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would continue that work that you've began in us. That you would continue to mold and shape us into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We lift our time to you. We lift our study to you. We look forward to all that you have. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may have a seat. Our text this morning, it records for us a prophecy given to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. Now, if you've been with us through our study of the Gospel of Luke, you will recall that Zacharias had been mute for at least the last nine months uh, because of Zacharias' unbelief and God's ability to answer his prayer and to give him a son in his old age. The angel Gabriel had silenced him. And it wasn't until God's promise came to fruition and Zacharias followed through with God's instructions and in naming his son John that his tongue was then loosed and he was able to then speak once again. Last week we did note how Zacharias' very first words were praise to the Lord. He broke out in blessing God as soon as his mouth was open. And it could very well be that what we have recorded here in our text are the words that Zacharias spoke out. We aren't told when this prophecy was given to Zacharias, but it would seem that it was closely related to the events of his son's birth and the opening of his mouth. So, as we go through this text, uh, we're going to go ahead and just break this prophecy up into some smaller portions. Uh, And the first section is going to be verses 67 through 75 that highlight for us the word of the prophet okay the word of the prophet and that word is primarily a word of salvation so let's take another look at our verses here this morning starting off with 67 through 69 as we get into this first section luke writes now his father zacharias was filled with the holy spirit and prophesied saying blessed is the lord god of israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Here we see that Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit previously in our study of Luke chapter 1. We noted how Elizabeth, his wife, was filled with the Holy Spirit back in verse 41. If you just kind of look up a few verses, you'll see. We also noted how Uh, their child John it was promised of him that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb as well and so we see here the entire family was filled with the Holy Spirit and what a blessing that must have been for the entire family you know Jesus he spoke of the dangers of a divided house when he said that a house divided against itself will not stand you know in our homes And in our church family, it is so important that we be united together as one. The Spirit of God is the one who unites us into the body of Christ together. And and we need to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and, and to guide us in our continued unity as a body and as a family. As John was filled with the Holy Spirit, God gave to him a word of prophecy that it's recorded for us here in our text. You know, the scriptures teach us that prophecy, it never comes by the will of man, 
but holy men of God speak as they are moved by the Holy Spirit. Second Peter tells us that. Okay? This wasn't something that Zacharias uh, worked up in his own efforts, in his own flesh, but was simply the Holy Spirit moving upon him and giving to him this amazing word of prophecy from the Lord. And the major word of this prophecy, as we've noted, it has to deal with salvation. Okay? And here in verses 67 through 69, the emphasis is upon praising God for his salvation. Zechariah starts his prophecy by proclaiming, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. That word blessed, it carries with, the no- carries with it the notion of being praiseworthy. Surely God is worthy of our praises. And here in our text... Zacharias gives us just a few reasons why God is so worthy of our praise. Let's note them. The first reason he gives us is because the Lord has visited his people. The Greek word translated visited is the word episkeptomai. It's a compound word. Epi means upon uh, and skeptomai means to look. And so putting them together, we understand that this word carries with it the idea of God looking upon his people. We can praise God and bless his holy name knowing that he looks upon his people. God sees all that we are going through. He sees the victories. He sees the challenges. He sees the shortcomings and he sees the good works that we do. Nothing gets past our Lord. He is the God who sees. El Roy, the name that was given to the Lord by Sarah's maidservant Hagar after he appeared to her and comforted her, letting her know that the Lord God had heard her affliction and was aware of all that was going on in her life. He saw her. And it was at that time that she named God. The God you are the God who sees. El Roy. We can praise God too, knowing that He sees and He knows all. There isn't anything that he isn't aware of there isn't anything that gets past him he sees all and he is moved with compassion towards us and so may we be comforted and may we praise god this morning knowing that he is the god who sees he sees and he knows all he looks upon his people he's aware of our situations and he is at work in our lives well the second reason zacharias gives us to praise the lord is based upon the fact that he has redeemed his people. The word redeemed, it means to set free by paying a price. Before we came to Christ, we were in bondage. Okay? We were slaves to sin. But God has set us free. He did so by redeeming us, by paying a price for us. And let me tell you, church family, it was a very costly price the scriptures tell us that we were not redeemed with corruptible things okay perishable things things like silver or gold okay god didn't pay for us with material riches from this world no we were set free we were redeemed from our aimless conduct first peter tells us with the precious blood of jesus christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot 
Jesus Christ, according to Hebrews chapter 9, He entered the most holy place once for all, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood. He paid the price for our eternal redemption. When Jesus Christ shed His blood for us and died upon the cross of Calvary, payment was made in full for the sins of this world. And now, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, we have redemption in Him. Okay, through His blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of His grace. Amazing grace, we sing this morning. It is by grace we have been saved, all thanks to the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Certainly, His sacrifice upon the cross and our redemption is something that we ought to continually praise Him for. Well, the last thing Zacharias mentions as a reason for praising God is the fact that God has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of His servant David. This, of course, is referring to the coming appearance of the long-awaited Messiah from the line and house of David, Jesus Christ. The word horn is often used in the Bible to speak of something of great strength, something of great might. Jesus is our mighty and glorious Savior. Nothing is too difficult for Him. He is the Lord God Almighty in physical form. And we can praise God knowing that not only does He see us and the situations that we find ourselves in, but He has the power to do something about our situations. David The sweet psalmist wrote in 2 Samuel, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. You see, David knew that his salvation was not going to come from his own strength, from his own might, from his own efforts. No, his salvation was going to come from the Lord. He knew that his only hope was to call upon the Lord, his rock, his fortress, his deliverer, his strength, his trust, his shield, his horn of salvation, his stronghold, his refuge, his savior. And then and only then would he be saved from his enemies. And we can rely upon the strength of the Almighty God, the horn of our salvation. Jesus is more than enough for all of our needs. Back to our text, Zacharias, he continues this word of prophecy in verses 70 through 73. He says, As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. You see, in verses 67 through 69, the emphasis was upon praising God for his salvation. But here in verses 70 through 73, Zechariah focuses in upon the promise of his salvation that was foretold by the mouth of previous prophets. God's salvation through this horn of salvation was something that he promised ever since the beginning. Okay? Since the world began, 
God's work of salvation, it can be traced all the way back to Genesis and what biblical scholars refer to as the proto-evangelum. Yeah, that's a, a really fancy word, okay? proto-evangelum. Basically, it just means the first mention of the good news. The first mention of the good news of salvation is actually alluded to in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God declares how he will put enmity between the seed of the serpent and in between ugh, enmity between the serpent and the woman and between his seed and her seed god promised that he would bruise the head of the serpent and the serpent would bruise his heel ever since the very beginning in genesis god's plan of salvation has been the same to send his one and only son born of a woman to crush the head of the enemy and to triumph over him from Genesis and the rest of the books of the law and all of the prophets, they all point to and they speak of Jesus Christ and his work of salvation. How do we know this? Well, because Jesus said so himself. Jesus said so uh, on the road to Emmaus when he traveled with two unwitting disciples of his. When they were saddened and they were perplexed by the news of the crucifixion, him rising from the dead and, and them not knowing where his body was located, Jesus declared to these two, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, and all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then we're told there, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus is not just a New Testament thing. Okay? The gospel is not just a New Testament thing. Okay? Later that day, he would appear before his disciples who were gathering behind closed doors and he would declare to them this. He would say, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. And then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things, he told them. You see, the gospel message hasn't changed from the very beginning. It's remained the same, and it is quite simple. The gospel message is God's promise to send His one and only Son to suffer for us, to die upon the cross for our sins, and then to subsequently rise from the dead on the third day and preach a message of repentance and remission of sin to the entire world. Okay? And that salvation can be had by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved by, by grace and by our, through our faith. What a glorious promise we have from the Lord this promise of salvation. Let's continue in our text. Take a look at verses 74 and 75. He says, continuing, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. We'll stop right there. Verses 67 through 69, focused upon praising God for his salvation. Verses 70 through 73 remind us of the promise of his salvation. Here in verses 74 and 75, Zechariah focuses in upon his purpose, 
the purpose of his salvation. Verse 74 speaks of how our salvation was granted to us for a couple of reasons. One, it was granted to us that we may be delivered from the hand of our enemies. The word delivered, it speaks of being rescued from something or someone. God offers to us his gracious work of salvation that he may rescue us from our enemies. You see, whether we like it or or like to admit it or not, or to acknowledge it or not, we are in a spiritual battle, and we do have enemies that want to take us down, that want to destroy our lives, that want to rob us of the joy of our salvation. Ephesians chapter 6 speaks about our enemy, and he lets us know that it is the devil and his forces, his minions, Paul writes, telling us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Listen up, church family. Okay, this is very important for us to realize and to understand. Okay, your brother and sister in Christ is not the enemy. Okay, we waste too much time and energy and effort fighting amongst each other that we fail to engage the real enemy. We need to stop fighting amongst each other and start fighting the good fight of faith against the real enemies that we face. Satan and his forces, they are the enemy. But they aren't the only enemy out there. We know that the world is at enmity with us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, well, the world would love you, okay? Because the world loves its own. Yet, because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And James reminds us that friendship with the world is enmity with God and states that whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And it was John that let us know that all that is in the world, okay, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, okay, it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Okay? And so the world is an enemy. Sin is also an enemy okay, that we face. It sets us against God. Colossians 1 verse 21 describes how we were once alienated and enemies in our minds by wicked works, by our sins, yet now he has reconciled us. And the last enemy that we will face is death itself. Paul writes that the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. We look at this and we realize, we understand these enemies that are against us Satan and his forces, the world, sin, and death. But listen to this, okay? All of these enemies that we face, we will be delivered from them because we share in the victory of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has defeated Satan and his forces. He has overcome this world. He has defeated defeated sin and even death. And God has the ability to save us from our every enemy. Every enemy that comes against us, Christ has already shot them down, has won victoriously, and he shares that victory with us. Amen. But that wasn't the only reason why he brought salvation to us. Yes, the the purpose behind salvation was to deliver us from our enemies, but we see in verse 74 that the purpose of our salvation was more than that. 
okay, that we might serve God as well. And know with me how we're to serve the Lord. Okay, the end of verse 74 states that we are to serve God without fear. The idea here is that we would serve God fearlessly. Okay, what or whom do we have to fear? Romans tells us if God is for us, who can be against us? It was David who wrote Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Paul reminds us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And it was John who wrote that there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Because God has loved us with a perfect love we can serve Him fearlessly. We need not worry about any foe, for the Lord has overcome them all. Well, how else are we to serve the Lord? One is fearlessly, but verse 75 says that we're to serve the Lord in holiness and righteousness. I want to share something really interesting about these words here in the Greek. This particular Greek word for holiness, it's only used two times in all of the New Testament. And both times it's used, it's written with this same word, righteousness. You would think a word like holiness, which we find throughout the Bible, would be written lots of times. It is written lots of times. But this particular Greek word that's translated holiness, only twice, and each time they're always knit together with righteousness. Here in Luke chapter 1 it's written, and again in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul writes about how we are to put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Same two Greek words put together, the only time that these words are used together like this in all of the New Testament. You see, this holiness and this righteousness that we are to serve the Lord with, it is not something that we have to create on our own. God isn't looking for us to strive to be holy. He isn't looking for us to strive to be righteous. He isn't looking for us to be perfect like Him. You see, when we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we became a new creation, a new being. 2 Corinthians attests, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And when God made us a new being, he created us according to himself. He created us in true righteousness and holiness. The holiness and righteousness we are to serve God with is something that he gives to us the moment we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We have all the righteousness and holiness God requires built into us as a new creation in Christ. We have been given the righteousness of Christ. It has been imputed to our account. And listen, we can't add anything else to it to make it better. We can't add to God's righteousness or His holiness by adding what we think our own righteousness or our own holiness is, is going to amass to something, okay? Listen, God's holiness, His righteousness, it is perfect. And God wants us to serve Him in that righteousness and in that holiness that He has granted to us. 
we need to stop trying to serve God in our own righteousness, in our own holiness. God's already clothed you with His perfect righteousness. And I believe that the sooner we realize and understand that truth, the sooner we can start serving Him the way that He intended us to from the very beginning. Not in our own strength, not in our own might, not in our own righteousness, but in His righteousness, in His holiness. Well, God saved us that we might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness and also that we may do it before Him. The idea carried by this wording is that we serve in the sight of the Lord. That all our service would be done as if before the Lord, as if done to the Lord Himself. Colossians chapter 3 instructs us that whatever we do, we should do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And so whether we are you know, flying jets across the ocean or sitting at an office desk, working on some sort of machinery, teaching young children, we are to do as unto the Lord. We are to serve as if we were before the Lord at every moment. Fourth, okay, lastly we see that we are to serve the Lord all of our days. Quite simply put, church family, okay, If you are here today, God is not finished with you yet, and He still has a work for you to do. We can be confident that when God is done with us, He will call us home. God isn't going to waste our time and leave us here when He's finished with us. And so the fact that you are here today is an indication that God still has more for you to do. He still wants you to serve Him. And so my encouragement, my exhortation to you is get involved. Okay? Pray and ask God what it is that He has for you and step forward to do that work which He's called you to do. God's not done with you. We are to serve Him all of our days. Let's get back to our text. We'll continue on to our next section dealing with the work of the prophet as Zacharias prophesies of the work and ministry of his son John the Baptist. Take a look at verses 76 through 79. It says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. We'll stop right there. In the opening of this prophecy, we focused upon the words of the prophet as Zechariah spoke out specifically about God's salvation for us. Here in verses 76 through 79, there's a switch in focus as Zechariah starts to narrow in upon the work of the prophet, specifically highlighting what the Lord has planned for his son John the Baptist as a prophet himself. In verse 76, Zechariah directs his prophecy toward his child, and he declares, You will be called the prophet of the highest. And then he proceeds to explain why that will be so, giving us four things that John the Baptist will do as the prophet of the highest. Number one, we see that John the Baptist will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. This is actually a fulfillment of a prophecy spoken much earlier, some 700 plus years prior to this time frame by the prophet Isaiah, who declared the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
also a few hundred years after Isaiah in uh, the mid-500s before Christ, Malachi also prophesied of this same thing, declaring, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. The word prepare, it carries with it the idea of making ready a path, particularly for that of a king, as was customary for oriental kings in their journeys. Kings would send forward an entourage, people ahead of themselves, that they may make all the needed preparations to properly receive them when they entered into a particular land or, or they went to visit a particular people group. It's kind of like what we imagine, you know, we roll out the red carpet, right? We ever hear that phrase before? Rolling out the red carpet, getting everybody ready, all these people are coming and, and we're going to get it all set, okay? God was sending John the Baptist ahead of Jesus that he may prepare the Jews to receive their king. He would go before Jesus and speak of him to the people and tell them to prepare themselves. He would declare, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He would attest that there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. And I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, John the Baptist knew that it wasn't about him, but it was about preparing people to meet the Lord himself. And and I look at this and I can't help but see a wonderful example for us to follow in. We know and trust that the Lord is going to come again a second time. And we have an opportunity to follow in the footsteps of John the Baptist and to be used to prepare people to meet the Lord at His second coming. May we be those who know and understand that it isn't about us, but it is about the Lord and preparing people to meet Jesus. Well, not only would John go before the Lord to prepare the way, but verse 77 declares that he will also give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. John's ministry, his job, his vocation as the prophet of the highest was to let people know that they could be saved from the penalty of their sins, that their sins could be forgiven. That word remission, it means to send away or to dismiss as a debt. As we already noted in our study, we were once bound to sin, enslaved to sin. We were all in debt to God because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. But John was sent to let people know that God was going to provide a way for their debt to be wiped away, to be dismissed, to have their debts canceled and paid in full through Jesus Christ and His shed blood. As a tender work of mercy, God was sending the day spring spring from on high, the promised Messiah, to visit His people and make the remission of sins a real possibility. No longer would they have to go year by year, laying their hands upon the necks of animals, calves and goats. Once and for all, the shed blood of Christ would pay the full price. And listen, we too have the same opportunity to share that same knowledge with the world around us. We have been given the gospel message that we might share it with the world around us. We get to tell people that their sins can be forgiven, that their debt to God can be wiped away, that they can have a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord Himself, all because of the great and tender mercy of God poured out upon them through the cross of Calvary. May we be faithful to share that message. Number three, we see that John the Baptist would also give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. 
The English phrase to give light is actually one word in the Greek. It's the word epiphaino. The compound word, again, epi uh, means upon, and phaino means to shine. So putting them together, we get the notion that John's ministry was going to consist of shining a light upon those who were in darkness and the shadow of death. John was to shine upon those in darkness, but what would he be what would his source of light be? The scriptures tell us that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so no doubt John would be going around shining the light of God's word upon those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. And like John, we too can share the light of God's word with the world around us. But also, we have another source of light. It is the Lord himself. Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He also said, I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. It was Paul who described how the Lord in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, God has shown in us and he has given us the light of Christ that we may shine our light upon those in darkness and in the shadow of death as well. For we, we were once in darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. And Paul exhorts us in Ephesians 5, walk as children of light. Lastly, fourth and finally, John's vocation as the prophet of the highest would have him to guide our feet into the way of peace. The word guide, it speaks of directing our feet, of making our path straight. John's ministry would consist of leading people's footsteps into the way of peace. And Jesus Christ is the only way to peace. He is our peace, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. He is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9 tells us that. The only way to ever find peace true, lasting peace in this life is through a loving relationship with the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. The peace that comes through a loving relationship with the Lord. Listen, I don't want you to be confused. It is not a guarantee that we will never face another difficulty or that life will always be carefree and peaceful. No. The peace that God gives us Uh, is a peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that no matter what the circumstances may bring, we are able to still have peace in our hearts because we're confident in the Lord's ability to see us through. And that's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, be anxious for nothing. Okay, don't worry about things, okay? But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, as we lift our cares and our concerns and our circumstances to the Lord, we can be sure that God hears our prayers and that he will work for us guarding our hearts and minds through Christ so that we need not worry and we can live in that peace that only comes through a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, let's turn our attention to our final section. It's a small one, only one verse, but there is something here I think worth noting. So take a look at verse 80 with me. It says, So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts to the day of his manifestation to Israel. 
While our first two sections dealt with the word of the prophet and the work of the prophet, this final verse points us to the wait for the prophet. Okay, the wait for the prophet. This prophecy Zacharias spoke forth was exciting, no doubt. Okay, God was at work. God was on the move. He was bringing forth the pieces that would prepare the way of the Lord. But listen, we have to understand this truth. It still wasn't time yet. John the Baptist would have to wait some 30 years before he was able to fulfill this calling upon his life. And this reminded me of a truth that I wanted to share with you this morning. Okay? God's calling and God's enabling, listen, they don't always come at the same time. Sometimes, I would even say oftentimes, God will have us go through a season of waiting a season of preparation prior to Him fulfilling His calling upon your life. You see, if God calls us, we can be confident that He will also equip us. Okay? Just don't be surprised if that equipping and preparing takes time. Okay? Great men of the Bible were called to great works, but also had to endure seasons of preparation, often spending time in the wilderness, in the desert, waiting upon the Lord. Moses, he felt God's calling to do something for his people long before God ever used him. He tried to act upon what he felt God was calling him to do early on. You guys, if you know the account, you know how that ended up. He made a big old mess of things, ended up costing someone their life, resulted in Moses running for his life. He had to spend some 40 years in the desert prior to the Lord calling him and using him, sending him back to Egypt to set his people free. Paul the Apostle had to spend some time in the desert prior to his ministry as well. When he first got saved, he tried witnessing to the people of Damascus, but instead of leading people to the Lord, the people were led to want to kill him. He had to spend some three years in the desert where the Lord Jesus Christ personally met with him and imparted to him the wonderful truths of the gospel. King David, he had to spend a number of years in hiding out in the desert, in En Gedi, and throughout the wilderness as from Saul before he ever became king. And anointed as a youth, as a kid, but yet several years hiding in the desert before God fulfilled that promise and that calling. Even our Lord Jesus had to spend 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness prior to the beginning of his earthly ministry. Why bring all this up? Because I want to encourage you this morning. If you feel like you've just been in the desert lately, perhaps you feel deserted, you feel alone. Maybe you feel like your life has been a bit dry lately and you're thirsting for something more. You're thirsting for God to show up and to move. You're in the desert. May I encourage you? Continue to wait upon the Lord. Don't run ahead of Him. Allow Him to complete the season of preparation. He's not done with you. He's simply preparing you for something greater. John the Baptist would spend several years in the deserts, but God was working the entire time. God was strengthening him in spirit, preparing him for the work that God was calling him to, and God will do the same in our lives. He will complete the work that He began in us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will be with us until the very end. Do not allow a season in the desert 
lead you to thinking that God's done with you. Because He isn't. He's simply preparing you for something greater. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this prophecy that You gave to Zacharias and all that we can glean from it. As we look and see just that that Word of salvation and how we can praise You for our salvation, Lord, how... There's a, a reason, a purpose for our salvation, Lord, that we might be delivered from our enemies, but more so as well, Lord, that we might serve you. Lord, we thank you for that work of ministry that you had for John the Baptist and how we too can follow in his footsteps. We can be those who faithfully prepare the way for those to be ready for Jesus' second coming. We could be those who proclaim the gospel message to the world around us. Lord, I pray that you would use us like you used John the Baptist. That we would realize and understand that it's, it's all about bringing people to you. And Lord, I pray that if there's any here who just feel like they've been in the desert lately, they're waiting They're wondering what's going on, Lord. May you remind them that you are still at work. That this season of preparation will pass. That you will complete the work that you've began. And Lord, that this season of preparation is not you forgetting about us, Lord, but it is you preparing us for something far greater. May we keep our eyes and our focus upon you. May your spirit be with us and upon us in all that we do. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the work of the cross. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.